0: Hello
1: everybody, welcome to episode 49 of For the record. This is For the record. 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 the both me, Sean Tierney, and my co-host, Mr. Zach Boogie, are quite tired as we're recording this after a long weekend, and uh, I've been uh, performing all weekend, and poor old Zach has been recovering all week, haven't you?
0: Man, like, I really thought, because we kind of took a break last week, because I was sick, and thought that, like, by this point when we'd record, I'd be better and be all, like, you know, for the records, back, motherfuckers, braca, braca, and I'm literally like, I'm here clutching my like gallon-sized cup of coffee because I've only just in the last day, like, reverted back to coffee after drinking nothing but sugary tea for a week because like, I, I, like I'm not better and it's shit and the only the only thing that's like kept me going is like, listening to tunes but even that is something that I've only been able to kind of like, reacclimate to in the last few days because like i tell you something, the, the album that we're reviewing today, like, uh, like, I, I don't think I, I had any of the with Paul to try and listen to something like this, this like last week. If I, if I heard anything that wasn't like minimal Spanish guitar ambience on YouTube, <laughs> like, I think it was going to make me have a fucking panic attack. <laughs> so yeah, this is definitely the fucking tired edition of For The Record, man. Yeah. The, Oh, fucking that for the
1: record oh jesus he's about he's just uh, expiring there off mic uh, this is for the record after dark um so uh, it's kind of um a little bit of a contradiction because as you said the record that we're talking about is like one of the most high energy releases of the week um we're going to be discussing Enter Shikari's brand new album a kiss for the whole world um which is something i'm very very much looking forward to the reason I'm looking forward to this is because we, we're we coming at this band and this record, I think, from completely different points of view, and not just because one of us is tired and the other one is recovering from an illness, um, more because of just our stories around um, Ender Shikari. Um, just to kind of, I, I, I think it's worth, for me anyway, just to, to give context to, to my review for this record. I. I I'd like to give a little bit of context of my thoughts about Shikari and maybe get the listeners and you as well, Zach, up to speed, even though we, Shikari are a band we've discussed, but I don't think we've ever really like gone like, oh my God, have you heard? You know, we haven't had a big fucking hour long discussion in the hallway of um, <laughs> some college <laughs> like we used to do. Um, but yeah, um, so Shikari are a very, very funny band for me. Um not funny ha ha, it's funny in my relationship with them. They are a band who have a lot of stuff that I absolutely love, like really truly adore. Um, whether that be a couple of songs off of different albums or full albums, and their most recent record in 2020, uh Nothing is True and Everything Is Possible is an album I think is absolutely wonderful. I think it's full of amazing tracks. Um, It's so poppy. It's so fun. It's so positive. Um, It's just really genuine and it captures everything that I like about Shikari. Um, I wonder is it worth actually (laughs) talking about what Shikari actually are? I just realized I've assumed that everyone listening is going to know what Shikari sound like. and just as like a potted kind of history, I guess they're like um, a kind of, well, they initially were a kind of a screamo-ish, electronic, post-hardcore-y kind of alternative rock band. Um, would you would you agree with that or is there elements I'm leaving out? They're hard band categories
0: I I, I, I I, yes, I agree, they're a hard band to categorize. So I always try and think of them in two factions. I think the first faction is because they've essentially they came up in the hardcore post hardcore UK scene. So they started out as to me as a hardcore leaning post hardcore band that drew on elements of like UK electronic music like trance and like fucking house and shit like that, mm-hmm. especially trance. So I, I think the whole electronic core label that they got branded brandished with early on is is quite fair but then i think there's there's like a there's the separate faction then of when they had kind of ran the gamut of being a post-hardcore band utilizing elements of electronic music and they just kind of slowly shifted what not like it wasn't like anything like holy fuck but if if you like listen to the first record and then the fifth record, you hear it's a bit jarring. But there's been they've made a slow jump to just a a more like just a modern alternative rock band who also utilise practically every electronic genre there is. They're a very British sounding band. I always say because they you know what I mean. It's I absolutely
1: British agree with that. Genres. Yeah, it, it's yeah. um there's a real British sensibility. And that comes as well from like vocalist uh, Rao Reynolds. He is very much like a kind of a British street poet kind of vibes, you know, like kind yeah. of, you know, it's um whatever he's going for, he delivers in a very kind of British manner. Yeah. And uh, yeah. something I I actually really like about Rao and his delivery is that he is very genuine. I think even when, they've strayed a little bit into kind of more schmaltzy territory that I'm not massively... Like, it doesn't grab me that well. I never like, oh, that's cheesy bollocks because you just get the sense that Rao really means it. Like, everything he fucking says, he means. Nothing is kind of there just for the sake of it. Um,
0: He's a very heart and sleeve kind of boy. Absolutely, yeah. And that comes through. And then I also think all of... because he's the one who primarily does all of the electronic production, I think you can very much hear that his influence lies in uh, UK, like British electronic music, like drum and bass, Mm. and a lot of jungle influence and trance. And then even the more, and then the, the later stuff has become a lot more, just I guess, basic synth pop, if you will. But even that, the way they've incorporated that into the more like alternative rock kind of sound, you know, there's even... You know, they can have something that sounds like the streets one moment and then they, and then it can turn into something that like sounds like an old British hardcore band. Yet I think at this stage, seven albums in, regardless of whether you're listening to their early stuff or their more modern, accessible stuff, they have very much throughout their myriad of influences, like really just kind of you know, nail their colors to the mast. Like, you know, you can hear Enter Shikari from a mile away now. Like, Mm. people, like when you know Enter Shikari have their own formula, which I think, and I especially think on this new album, I love the fact that they, they're at a place where they can, like, they have so much of a discography now and a formula that they can mess around with. You know, they can bring back elements of electronic music that I haven't heard them fuck around with since, like, their second record. And, you know, Rao can pull out an inhale to remind you of their hardcore origins. Yet then sometimes he can be flowing like Mike Skinner. So like I, I, and I think they are very much at a place now where it all seems effortless. No, and I don't mean that in a mean way that nothing is surprising anymore because they've kind of shown us every single trick they have throughout the years, and now they seem like they've just they're refusing to stagnate. To me, even though they have all of these tricks kind of shown to people. Mm now they're still finding fresh and inventive ways to keep their sound interesting so like I do think there's a reason why you know a band that when they came out like there was a lot you know they were maligned by a lot of people I knew because you know no one could handle trance stabs in a song with a breakdown in inhales and you know and, and like people were like oh are you like Ender Shikari and and you'd be kind of telling people they're really good there's like just because it just because it goes beyond the parameters of like what you're directly into at 16 years old doesn't mean they're terrible. And now you have them like headlining Slam Dunk Festival this year. Mm. I mean, like tour with the new album. Like they've, they are like, they're just a, like, they're a complete success story. You know, they're always independent on their own labels and they've kind of won every, like people I know who used to hate them like when we were kids, love them now, or will at least turn to me and be like, they're a really good band. They never did it for me, but they're a really good band. Uh, that's actually
1: a point that I wanted to touch on, um, because when they hit initially, we'll say, so Take the Disguise was 2007? Um, 2006, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. 2006 or 2007. So,
1: 2006, but there was like EPs and stuff before that, and they were they were a yeah. big um, MySpace band, right? Weren't they? Yeah, that's the MySpace yeah, era, yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Um yeah. When that came out, I did not rate it at all, Um, despite the kind of omnipresence of um Sorry You're Not a Winner, um, which is a great song, like a great song, and it's one that's kind of endured despite some of the, the elements that maybe in modern times are a little bit not cool or whatever. It was just at the at the time that that came out, 2006, 2007. I mean, you have to remember, 2006, Lama God released Sacrament, so I was full, like, shaved head fucking hard like hard southern metal was my shit at the time like you know and to be honest like i think that you know enter shikari were very far removed from that so i i didn't really rotate to the skies at the time and i haven't really gone back to reassess it and that's actually something that's kind of been a common thread uh, not a common dread, uh common thread uh, um uh. with Chikari's music for me, despite really loving some of their records. Like I love The Mind Sweep and I love Nothing Is True. I have never listened to The Spark. That's the album in between those two records. Like I don't even understand why that's a thing. Like, you know, I love um I love a good, solid proportion of Common Dreads. I think Zonked and like Juggernauts are fucking amazing tracks. And I'm not sure if I ever listened to Flash Floating Colour in full. You know, they're just a really, they're a really weird band for me. I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I have no defense. They're just a band that I always, when I get in on them, I get really in on them. But only the album that's out at that time. I never like right I need to go back and listen to everything. You've no idea how much I absolutely rinsed at Nothing is True and the Sweep. I think they're incredible records. I played them to death and I was like, "Hmm, there's an album in between these two records." Nah, I won't bother with it, Look, <laughs> like, you know. Just it, it's a really bizarre relationship I have with the band and it's one that I think is very different to yours. Um so I just wanted to bring that up. Um just to say that when I like them, I really fucking like them. And sometimes I just care so little that I don't even listen to the record. And I don't understand why that is.
0: It's funny you say that because my relationship, like you said, is very different to yours. But it's actually got a few more similarities than you might realize. Really? I, yeah, because I, like at the time when Take the Disguise came out, I was not ready either for... Ah. No, I was into, like, fucking Megadeth. And, like, I had just started getting into, like, Decapitated and Cannibal Corpse and slightly heavier shit. And and, and just about kind of starting to discover hardcore punk. And, and I liked a bit of post-hardcore. I was really getting into, like... I was just starting to really get into Alexis on Fire, uh, who, like, if anyone, the casual listener knows, they're, like, my favorite band. But I, I kept hearing Sorry You're Not a Winner in rotation, and I just didn't know what to make of it because I just... It was so... As Rao says uh, in an Enter Shikari track on their third album, you know, man, we're just so far out your comfort zone. <laughs> and <it> was <laughs> I was like, I did, I was so far out of my comfort zone. I had no idea what to make of it. Anything can happen in the next half hour it was released. That may only made me more confused. And then, funnily enough, it was like the main uppercut, the deep end push, of Johnny Sniper that made me go, "Hang on a minute." this is this is like an absolute banger like this is like the weirdest fucking like he was screaming two minutes ago and now it's like this euphoric whisper to the wind thing and and then it made me go back and check out the other two tunes and you know this is like still dial-up days just before broadband so like I, i i basically had to take the plunge and buy the fucking album and when i bought take to the skies then that it like just changed everything for me a buddy of mine really good friend who I've like a very similar taste to it. He was the only other person I knew who was back in Take to the Skies and everyone else was talking shit in it. And I was just like, fuck it, I gotta check this out. And long story short, I fell in love with Take to the Skies. And that began like a, a a long time fandom for me then. I I was highly, anticip- uh, highly anticipating Common Dreads, their second record, which I loved. I really enjoyed. The like we talked earlier, like Rao kind of embracing more like UK hip hop and like rapping and rhyming more, and the more political edge the band took. Um, and I think I think uh Common Dreads just has some of the best material on it Juggernauts, Walls, mm-hmm. uh, Hectic, some amazing tracks on that mm-hmm. record. The Jester. Um, can I just interject just just
1: quickly? Uh, just a little point. I even think though, like, there's two years between um, Take the Disguise and Common Dreads. And for me, it was a huge jump in quality. Like, and maybe quality is the wrong word, but like maturity or song structure, or composition. I think there was a kind of a wild, frenetic MySpace approach to songwriting on the on Take the Disguise, whereas Common Dread seemed a little more. And I, I'm not using um my space pejoratively there I just mean that that was kind of the style de jour like you know Um, but I think Common Dreads really like it had a fucking laser focus to it like you know and it's as well as being wild but it just seemed better crafted I don't know if it, would you agree with that I'm, I'm not saying in terms of whether you prefer one to the other I just the, the craft was a step up for me
0: oh no I, I completely agree with you there I right. mean I love Take to the Skies, but Take to the Skies is, you know, for for all of the promise that's in Take to the Skies, and it's a very technically impressive record, there's a lot of strange time signatures and mm-hmm. hefty breakdowns, but, like, there is, like, I mean, loads of inhale vocals, and there's loads of, like, very early micro-corg programmed, you know, trance stabs, and, you know, it it is very, like you said, MySpace era, it's very much indicative of their youth, and it's got that, like, as you said, it's got that frenetic kind of chaos to it. Whereas, and you have to keep in mind because a lot of the tracks on Take to the Skies, at least three or four of them, appeared on earlier EPs and demos. So Take to the Sky seems like it's the full length they were working toward from about maybe 16 to 20. And then Common Dreads is like the album of their early 20s, which you, uh, your entire mindset as an artist and a person changes in that time frame. So I, I completely agree with you. Common Dreads is a much more, seasoned record and it's much more about the songs as opposed to like this the fucking crazy breakdown here and the fucking mad and even there's there's not as many just frantic random interludes and common dreads is a lot more focused and then i think it's funny as you mentioned then that you're not sure if you ever listened to a flash flood of color in full I'm just now, looking at
1: the track list here. I don't recognize any of
0: it. <laughs> a flash flood of color is probably one of their best records. Like because of a, a, a flash flood of color, f- furthers the the trimming down of like the fat and the laser focus to a point where like like flash Flo- Like I mean, I like a flash flood of color is one of those albums I distinctly remember because 2012 was a great year for new music. That that was an album I was like so excited for because I was so pumped for Common Dreads to hear like where they would go after Take to the Skies. But by the time I digested Common Dreads, I kind of had a feeling that like I knew what Shikari were now and I knew where they were in their modern kind of style. So I was so curious to hear A Flash for the Colour. And you have to keep in mind as well, the boys are like, you know, they're an incredibly prolific band. They're one of those groups that constantly put out material in between albums. So, I mean, in between each album cycle, you're always going to get like either a compilation of b-sides or you're going to get a few standalone singles or a collab single i mean you had the zone come out after take to the skies and that had like the feast on it and acid nation and kicking back on the surface of your cheek loads of songs that just didn't make the cut for protect the skies but still really fun and then you had a similar kind of companion release after common dreads called tribalism which had like a bunch of remixes from common dreads but then also had some new b-sides like Tribalism, thumper, thumper, and that real, yeah. I was thumper. just going to
1: say, Thumper's on that, isn't it? That's a fucking banger.
0: Thumper's a remember. banger. Yeah, and there was We Can Breathe in Space as well, which was released as a single, which a lot of people love. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and then by the time Flash for the Colour came out, we'd already had that released, like I mentioned, and we'd already had the two standalone singles, Destabilize and Kel Surprise both of which are like fan favorites, like they're really big singles for the band. So, like, a flash flood of color came three, was it three years? Later? Yeah, three years later, after 2009's yeah. of trades. 2012. trades. Yeah. Shit, a shitload of material had come in between that, too. So I was very kind of curious as to, like, where a flash flood would go. And like I said, a flash flood of color is a cracking record. Because like, okay, a flash flood of color kind of goes both ways. It, like, it tries to embrace the really electronic, hardcore side, but it also is them really pushing toward the more like kind of accessible melodic alt rock like vibe they would go down in later releases. I mean, there's the was it the opening track is like an intro system, and when it goes into meltdown, I remember hearing this the first time and being like, "This is why I love Andrew Shikari." And then I remember re- watching an interview, like a documentary, them recording the album, and they even said like it was like something they toyed with to try and get it perfect. On meltdown, there's a breakdown that is in sequence with dub wabs and they wanted to equalize it in such a way that you can't tell what's the wob and what's the guitar and what's the drum <laughs> so all you get is just like and you could tell it's a breakdown in wab in unison but you it's all blurred together so seamlessly that it just sounds like this horrible sound that makes you want to move and i, I just fucking love that about shikari and and then but strangely enough that album has like I mean, there's a song on that called uh, Gandhi Mate, Gandhi, mm. which is one of the mentalest tracks they've ever written because that actually came from when I met Rao. I met Rao years ago in the pavilion in Cork. And I said to him, uh, I said, the tune on the new album, Gandhi Make, it was when they were touring Flash Flood of Color. And I said, uh, the tune on the new album, Gandhi Make Gandhi. And he was like, Yeah. And I was like, You basically just put vocals and live guitar, bass, and drums. On your old, because uh, Rao has used to have his own solo thing called Route, which was just electronic music. And I said to him, your song your route song got up to this." I was like, "It's just that entire like four minute electronic piece, but you've added vocals and gotten the band to put live music to it. And he literally looked at me and he was like, "What did I call that again?" And I was like, it's called got up to this online. He was like, fucking hell. I, he was like, I literally couldn't remember of the title of that. He says, he says, yes, I did. He was like, he says, I've always loved that electronic piece and brought it to the band and was like, we should just turn this into a full song. He's like, but I could never remember what the original title I gave it was. So like, he so uh, even that idea of him, like going back, finding this old electronic piece, this mentalist acid kind of noise song and then getting the whole band to create a full track out of it Candyman Candy make Andy is fucking absurd but it also had signs of you know songs like, like warm smiles do not make you welcome here and pack of thieves really indicated that kind of like anthemic vibe they were going to hit on the Sweep. a flash flood of color is like the bridge that's the best way of putting it a flash flood of color is like the bridge from common dreads to the Sweep. it's like half common dreads half the Sweep, but tighter and shorter than either of those albums and then the mind sweep happened now what's funny to me is you seem to really rate the mind sweep and don't get me wrong i love the mind sweep i love everything shikari have done but the mind sweep to me at that point is the weakest of those first four because i love take the the sky's comrades and a flash flood of color i still love the mind sweep love it but it to me it 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 it, it has a tough it, it it's a really hard one to follow a flash flood of color i don't think it's as good as really a and don't get me wrong, like I i think like the one true color, anesthetist, last garrison, never let go of the microscope. Torn
1: apart.
0: Torn apart's a fucking banger. Slip Shod is one of the best bonus tracks in album history. <laughs> yeah. I I love slip Shod. Myself and the lads used to do gigs. Uh furious Bastard Pigeon when we play gigs, we just get like the DJ to put on. I give him my phone again on shot before we play. And everyone must be like, what the fuck is this about? Like, I adore that. I'm, don't get me wrong, the mind sweep is cracking. But to me, the mind sweep was not them running out of ideas, but I think the mind sweep was them taking that direction to its final destination. You know, they had done take the Skies, they kind of sh- shook off the hardcore MySpace shackles and common dreads, really refined themselves on a flash flood. Color, and then the Mind Sweep was a further refinement of that sound. So I think by the time the Mind Sweep ends, it's it's that's the kind of end of Enter Shikari, as a lot of people know and love them. And even the band have said themselves that they've had people like that they know and respect and stuff kind of say to them, you know, I haven't liked anything since after the Mind Sweep. The Mind Sweep was kind of the last. Chapter for a lot of people with Shikari. Because you said you haven't listened to The Spark. No, not even once. What's funny about The Spark is I must admit I was one of the people who thought I was done with Shikari after the mind sweep. Because they put out the first single from The Spark, Live Outside. outside, And whatever mood I was in. Whatever mood I was in at the time, I think it was in a friend's gaff or something, and I heard it. And because it didn't have screaming and because it didn't have any bit of a hardcore like pull for me, I remember just thinking, oh, this is a bit underwhelming. Not that blown away by it. Uh, I've other stuff to listen to. I'll check it out some other time. And that was it for The Spark. I never, I never actually went and listened to it based <laughs> on... Yeah. This is just shows you how weird we can be as humans and as music listeners and stuff. I I heard of Live Outside once was like, oh, not nah, not really doing it for me. I've got other stuff to listen to. I've got recordings I'm doing myself. I, I I like whatever. I'll come back to it some other time. And I never got around to listening to the Spark. And then
1: that's so funny, man.
0: I know. And when was it then? The Spark came out in twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. So then, I, yeah, twenty eighteen. I moved here to London, and i think i think i heard another single off the album rabble rouser Mm. and i remember going hmm that that's a lot better than i had convinced myself i thought the spark was what why haven't i listened to the spark and then i remember all that live outside song and i threw on "Live outside again and i was like you know what i said this is actually a really good song it's just not It's not the Enter Shikari I grew up listening to because it's not really heavy, and I says, but it's still got all the components of what I love about Shikari. They've Mm. just repurposed them for a new direction. And I says, when the minds we bended, I was literally saying to myself, okay, they've kind of ran the gamut of this sound. Maybe they should change it up. And now they have, and and I kind of turned a blind eye to them when they did what I kind of wanted them to do. So I was like, why am I being a knob? And I went and I listened to the Spark, and. The thing I will say about The Spark, I love The Spark now. I have it on vinyl and everything. Uh, What I think is so good about The Spark is two things. One, it's, like I said, it kind of, it's the sound of a creative rebirth, if you will, because the band really opted to stray away from the formula of a flash flood of color and the mind sweep, and not rely on their heavier kind of beginnings. But also, and I'm not sure if this was, you know, intentional or not, but Rao, the front man, the primary songwriter, uh, Rao Reynolds' relationship, his long-term relationship ended before, uh, like in the in between the Sweep and the Spark. So the Spark is like the first Shikari album since like Take to the Skies that isn't like almost 100% intrinsically a political record. Mm. And, and, like, and like you've heard, and like the Shikari songs, where Rao is like unhinged or brimming with like earnest emotion about like communal global affairs and politics and shit are pretty like intense and cathartic. So when you take that and you have, when you take a guy with that energy and have him singing songs about shit that's far more personal to him, that really resonated with me like immensely. I mean, like I said, I mean, the spark isn't it isn't Take to the Skies, and it isn't Common Dreads, but it's not trying to be. It was trying to, like, start a new chapter mm. or a new legacy for Shikari. and The spark, like go,
1: the creative spark, you know?
0: Exactly. And yeah. I mean, even, like, the intro is called The Spark, the outro is called The Embers, and the first proper song, The Sights. The Sights is just this beautiful, anthemic, like, sci-fi-tinted, like, love song, you know? I'm searching far and wide uh, to find a planet to orbit, Uh, far and wide I want to scan and explore it you're my new planet to orbit it's about him like finding love and finding someone and then live outside live outside really began to resonate with me because it's and it's him finding a lovely balance between his previous political machinations and his more personal like kind of issues you know I want to live outside of all of this and there's like one song where they really go at the political bent, you know, I'd take my country back, mm. which I think is a great little, that's another example of Reynolds like wordplay, you know, I don't want to take my country back. I want to take my country forward. Uh But by the time you get to, there's a, there's a couple of really powerful tracks on the spark. Um, there's a song called Airfield and Airfield is like, I don't, I don't like talking about Airfield too much because Airfield just makes me really sad. You know, it's just, it's, it's a ballad, like, it's just a row and acoustic guitar, piano kind of ballad, but, like, but it isn't about, you know, it's not about space and time or the fucking, the ozone layer or all oh, the myriad of stuff that he's talked about in the past. Like, it, it's him really just bearing all, and it, it's, it's quite fucking soul-destroying. And then, I mean, and then that, like, pace is replaced, like I said, by Rabble Rouser, which, you know, like, only Shikari could make a song that's such a banger about them playing live. You know, people climbing over bodies like spiders while I'm on stage with a face like a sack of screwdrivers, (laughs) which is another great line. But there's like, there's two phenomenal tracks on Spark. One is called uh, Undercover Agents, which is probably one of my favorite Sha'Carri songs. I, I can't rate that enough to anyone listening, especially you. Undercover Agents, one of the best songs they've ever written. And that closing track, "An Ode to Lost Jigsaw Pieces, in two movements that's uh that's really difficult to listen to that's gorgeous it's a gorgeous big piano-y ballad but like that's like the most fragile and vulnerable like Rao Reynolds has ever been on record like and it's really you know it, there's there's just like a bit toward the end where he like you can like you know when you hear someone like literally holding back their tears yeah like you can hear him like, just earnestly talking about, like, and he's very vague, like, he doesn't put anyone in any awkward position, but he really kind of states, like, you can tell that, like, the way his life was headed, he thought that was it. Like, he was getting married, his life, that was his future, yeah. his life was sorted, and and he ends up saying, you know, I've lost more pieces than my jigsaw, I've lost more pieces on my jigsaw, it doesn't seem worth making now. So, like, it, it really, the spark is, like, the real transitional album for Reynolds of, like, finding himself again and finding purpose again. So this tangent has brought me to why I think nothing is true and everything is possible is such a special record to me because to me, nothing is true and everything is possible is like, you know, without sounding too convoluted, The Spark sounds like the record that was kind of the make or break I think for Shikari as a band and for Rao as a songwriter, where they didn't want to write a hardcore leaning record anymore. They didn't want to prioritize politics. They wanted to write sweeter songs, more melodic songs, more earnest songs. And Rao wanted to just kind of show himself off. And and people gravitated toward it. Some it took longer than others, me included. So I was really hyped for nothing as true and everything as possible. Because I was like, okay, now the band. They've taken three years. They, they've they shown that this new vibe really works for them. And then when the Dreamers Hotel came out, that was everything I wanted from them at that point. It perfectly balanced the sincere lyricism, the political lyricism, rouse, shitheaded kind of street poetry. The And it had kind of gotten to that point now where they were starting to be able to draw on any type of influence that they have and make it sound like Shikari. So nothing is true and everything is possible. Number one, I think, I think it's just a great record in general, Um, and I don't mean to take anything away from the album, but I will say one of the reasons I hold it in such high esteem, it has to be down to the fact that I think it's one of the most eerily prophetic records I have ever listened to in my life, because the album came out in, like, was it March of 2020?
1: March of 2020, I do believe. No, fucking
0: April. it, it, It was in April 2020. Yeah. It was it just after lockdown? Hit.
1: Yeah, but obviously, like, so, yeah. I mean, if it's released in April, it's been written for you know at least recorded for mo- three, four months, like Dreamers kind Ho- of thing.
0: Dreamer- Dreamers Hotel came out in, like December or January before it. Like, so I mean that Can I just album- say hmm? what
1: a fucking song.
0: It's such a banger. Dreamers Hotel
1: is unbelievable. And in the context of that record. It is not a either. I I think that it's it's so uh, sorry to kind of interrupt, but I just oh. think it's so it's so interesting that like you you have this really kind of deep love for the band and like you know about Rao's relationship breaking up and you've seen the progression and uh, you know the vulnerability in some of his like you you know all of this stuff all, and all that stuff that you've like so passionately described. And I'm someone who like I don't have that connection at all to Shakari and i think that nothing is true and everything is possible is a special record as well but for completely different reasons you know it's it's really interesting i think it just it just demonstrates what a fucking great record that is that two people with comp- like we've similar taste in music we overlap and we, but we diverge a lot of the time and but like i mean we we've such a different relationship to shikari yours is one of like real passion and empathy and kind of a deep love and knowledge of the band and their history. And mine is much more casual, like, oh, that's a fucking banger. Like, you know, that's that's kind of the summation of my relationship with, um, with carry And I just think nothing is true and everything is possible is. I think it's an absolutely fucking stunning record. And like there's stuff on it that I don't like as much, you, you know, that kind of that circusy music on waltzing off the face of the earth is a bit weird but it's also kind of cool Uh, you know the we're apocaholics that bit is like,
0: like I love that
1: apocaholics is such a shit like that's so stupid but it's only Row who could do that. Only Rao could get away with it. You know what I mean? And like, I actually, I love that Drake and Jade and Sonic because it's really like, it's really like Oasis rhyming scheme shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. really, again, very British. And this whole, like, and despite how accessible it is and despite how like, um, anthemic it can be at parts, like that opening, um, chorus on, um, uh, the Great Unknown is like, if there's anyone out there, just give me a sign. It's, it's just massive. Like, it's so big. And like the Dreamers Hotel is such a banger, but it's a really weird record as well. There's really like weird curiosities on it. Like, like I was saying that Watson have to face the earth, the like, umpa like, you know, brass section music almost. And like, Tina is a really weird song. And I think that was a single as well. Like, you know, it's, it just, it really captures the character of Shikari. And, you know, I I don't like using this word all that often because it can sound, sound quite trite and kind of almost patronizing, but I don't mean it that way at all. Like, they have a real fearlessness to their songwriting. You know, a real kind of, disrespect for like agendas and genres and stuff you know it's it really it's a credit to them
0: that's why uh like i mean i think number one i think nothing is true and everything is possible is like one of their best records which six albums in that's a big th- a thing for a band especially a band who aren't necessarily relying on a lot of the laurels of their earlier material it's not that it's still not a really heavy record or anything they don't bring back the screen or the breakdowns or anything but there's just something so focused about it. And I mean,
1: can like, I, can I put forward a word? Maybe not their best record, but it's almost their most complete. Yeah. You I know don't know. I mean? I mean, it, it's very self-assured, self-contained. This is who we are. This is what we're putting out. You can like it or love it. And for the most part, people loved it.
0: And even like Shikari, like a Shikari have always toyed slightly with like more orchestral kind of flair, like the closing track on common dreads fanfare for the conscious mind. Very like because Rao himself, like for all his electronic programming production, he plays trumpet, and like the band are like very big. They're they're, they're great musicians. So I mean, mm-hmm. always toyed with the kind of more orchestral side of things. And I think the standout, one of the standouts of Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible, is Marionettes, the two Marionettes part track. Amazing. The discovery of strings and Ascension, like, and even that the 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 musical journey that takes from like orchestral arrangements to that real, you know, um, get it together. It like and even the whole idea of and that's another thing like because of Reynolds like demeanor and attitude like what what could sound like a real clunky kind of yeah we get it it's it's a song about you know yeah. marionettes discovering their strings and it's a metaphor for us being controlled by politicians but its like it's such a simple metaphor but like that whole breakdown when he's like you know looking up. You know, at their strings, they ask, "Where do they lead? Where do they lead?" It, like it's sound the theatricality the band are able to put into their music while like, while wearing Nike polos and Fred Perry's, and you know the, the theatricality is all in the music, and it and, and it uh, works so well. Like
1: that's something really interesting that you've touched on. Like, and again, it goes back to that Apocaholics thing. Like that is shit uh, to me. That's just not. It's not clever. It's 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 really like gca like you know it's really like low yeah. but in the hands of someone like row he can make it seem like i know you know i know this isn't like bigger or art or clever like i just like how this sounds it gets a point the point across of what i'm trying to make you know and someone you referenced earlier on uh, was mike skinner who was fucking so good at doing things like that like you know like taking you to He's not taking you to these grand places. Like he's taking you to the chip shop down the road. Like, you know, and I think Rao gets that, like that, like I said, the street poet side of things, you know, it's not big, it's not clever, but it just delivers a message. And he's really good at it, despite, um, like I would, I'd never put him alongside the likes of, you know, Trent Reznor or someone as a lyrical no. genius or any of that stuff, you know, but like. He fucking, he's very good at delivering a message. And he does this... I, the word I keep coming back to is genuine. And he does it in such a genuine fashion. and You can always
0: smell sincerity from a mile off.
1: 100%. 100%. And I think that that's such a strength of Um, of Shikari. um
0: But well, the reason, one of the things I wanted to say about Nothing Is True uh, before we move on to the main event is that the thing, as much as I love Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible for everything we've just talked about, like I want to bring it back a minute to what I said about it being eerily prophetic. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. I found that that album, obviously when things came out during COVID and during lockdown, we're going to find parallels in the art that comes out at that time. But there are so many like very cryptic almost unsettling similarities to the lyrical content on nothing is true and everything is possible to what went on in the world at the time of the album's release. Number one, look at the fucking title. Nothing is true and everything is possible. And fake that's news. basic.
1: Fake news.
0: Yeah. It's, you know? a, it's a complete fucking swipe at the fake news thing. All yeah. of this, like, Oh, you don't believe everything that's like on the media. And, and you know, you know, we could, people are reporting like politicians deflecting from shit. And it's like, This whole new attitude that nothing is true and everything is possible is just such a... And it seems like such a blasé statement. And I remember, like, why is the album called that? And I thought, wow, it's because that's the damaging rhetoric we're trying to, like, spiel to people now. And then when you get into songs that, like, feel like they're referencing lockdown, like uh, Modern Living still fucking freaks me out, you know, the I'd like to welcome all my people here. But listen close. Everything you love is about to disappear. I feel it's still coming. There's something in the air. This is modern living. Like it's like, what the fuck were you on, man? When you wrote that? Like he must have realized when that came out. Like holy shit, that's scarily reflective of like what we're doing right now. Like. It had
1: to have been a weird moment for him when he was like, particularly because we went into lockdown a month before this came out, and he was like. I'm about to release a song (laughs) like foreshadow us all this shit. It must have been a really weird place to be in for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like that type of shit really kind of stuck in my craw. And I, one, one lyric I majorly think, I think it's something that should like be put on fucking banners is from the Dreamers Hotel, you know, where he says, uh, students, Nuance ain't nothing but a nuisance. You're either good or you are evil. You play a prick and there's no sequel because that's the will of the people. And and that's him talking about cancel culture. That's him talking about so much shit. For a dude who's traditionally left-wing, that's not a leftist sentiment. That's him just putting it out there, you know. You want to calm down the new generation with your whole, oh, someone did something wrong. We cut them out now. We destroyed our life. No, 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 no. That's a very... It's a very fascistic way of looking at things for people who are all about equality and you know that whole nuisance ain't nothing but a nuisance. That that to me just stuck with me. I, I think there's so many layers to nothing is true and everything is possible. Which is why number one, I was so curious about where a kiss for the whole world was gonna go. And number two it's testament, like, you know, we constantly joke about how COVID fucked up our perception of time. Like, at the start of this year when they put out the first single Please Set Me On Fire, and we're like our new album, A Kiss For The Whole World, will arrive in like, April of 2023. I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, but nothing is true and everything is possible only came out. Ten minutes ago? (laughs) Yeah, it only came out like last song. No, No, it it came out three years. (laughs) Three years! <laughs> it came out more than three years ago. I'm yes. like, oh, fuck. Okay, we are doing a new Shikari album, so yeah. because when the boys taught, would drop an album, they relentlessly tore it and they weren't able to do that for what was arguably an album that like probably deserved the biggest tour yet. So all of those factors have made me kind of very curious as to what A Kiss for the Whole World would sound like. And because of COVID and everything, I felt like The album was coming a lot sooner than it was, and because of how powerful "Nothing Is True and Everything is, Is Possible" was, how much it built upon the creative rebirth of the spark, and because of how eerily relevant it felt to the times, I felt very much like a kiss for the whole world had massive shoes to fill. So I've I've been very cautious going into this record and trying not to set it too hard of a bar. But as you can see from me flowing through this, I love Shikari so much that literally back earlier this year when they announced the kiss for the whole world, I went back and went from take to the skies to nothing is true and everything is possible with all the EPs and singles and like remixes. I listened to the full discography over a couple of weeks to proper like refresh myself on everything because Rao even said his goal, this is the second Shikari record after nothing is true that Reynolds has produced himself. And he said he wanted this to simultaneously continue the modern direction they're going on their last like two records but also feel more like a retroactive celebration of everything Shikari has been up to that point mm. and I must say I think for the most part A Kiss for the Whole World succeeds in doing that without without falling victim to oh here's a song that sounds like Take to the Skies yeah. and oh here's a song that it takes it's a much more nuanced version of that it isn't and maybe some people are disappointed there isn't a wink, wink, here's a take to the sky song and wink, wink, here's a heavy song. and But it, it definitely, subtly, in a nuanced fashion, plums the depths of their back catalogue and like takes little motifs and tricks and repurposes them into their new kind of style. Yeah. How, do you, how are you feeling on the new record?
1: Just before we get into our feelings on it, um, this is Shukari's seventh album um, and it's after earning their first ever UK number 1 album which is fucking, fucking awesome for a band as independent alternative and DIY as shikari just a massive well in lads that is fucking awesome news and like they beat some fucking big releases as well cuz the record the record store they stuff with like metallica and taylor swift and all sorts of mad shit and shikari got their first ever UK number 1 album which is Yeah, I I just think that's fucking stellar. Um, How I'm feeling about the record. (laughs) It's almost like how I feel about Shikari as a whole. There is stuff on this that I absolutely adore. And then there is stuff that I just, is fine. You know, I'm not like mad about it. But will I start with my negatives? Um, Because I think that's actually a smaller, a smaller pool of things to... To, to talk about and they're actually uh, they're quite subjective as well I think it, it, it's a it's a taste thing um, I'm not mad on when they go full drum and bass like on the intro and Bloodshot they sail a little bit too close to like um, the Prodigy experience and well I wouldn't
0: you... I wouldn't I wouldn't call I wouldn't call Bloodshot drum and bass so much but I, I do find it funny you say it because I wrote a review of the album for work and I actually mentioned that Bloodshot is almost Bloodshot almost sounds like an experiment to be like, What if what if the prodigy wrote a post metal song? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not song. not
1: the whole song, just just the start of it. Um it's got that that that, that old school prodigy vibe.
0: Oh, I didn't it's yeah it's very kind of i'm not
1: i'm not well up on my my dense terms so i might have misused drum and bass there um yeah but, it's not,
0: uh, i just don't want anyone to come to us and be like that's not drum and bass yeah like,
1: but you you know what, you know whatever that is like you know outer space prodigy whatever that genre is that's what i'm on about i don't know what that's fucking called okay it's a very it's a
0: very it's a very og kind of rave kind of segment segment yeah. is what it is um and i
1: just think when you're aping the prodigy or when you sound like the prodigy you need to be absolutely amazing at that thing particularly because of the britishness of shikari and the prodigy and the immediate parallels and the immediate similarities um and i just don't think they ever reached that height um thankfully though there aren't too many of those moments on the record and they don't dwell on them when they are so again very minor kind of critique um the other problem then I have is kind of the more, you touched on it, the orchestral moments, the grander moments. Um, you know that big outro on Deadwood? Um, yeah. I think it's good. But, y- you know, it's a bit unfair as well because you're talking about bands with much bigger budgets and all of that. I understand that. But you know when you're, um, for want of a, a better word, you're a big alternative rock band. There's a bar when it comes to those big, grand orchestral moments. And I find it very difficult not to compare with, say, the like of the outro of Deadwood to something like Biffy Claro, who, for me, have absolutely nailed those huge, world-ending, atmospheric, orchestral outros. And I just, they don't quite reach those heights. And again, I know it's a fucking it's a budgetary issue more than likely. Like, you know, I mean, Biffy Cairo can probably call on whatever symphony orchestra they want in the world. Whereas I'm sure Shikari can't. Not that Shikari aren't a huge successful band, but you know, there are levels and all that stuff. Um, But again, that's kind of it. It's not that it's bad. I just, when you're, it's when they sound like other big bands, I find they fall down. It's when they sound like Enter Shikari that they really fucking soar for me. I just I just think that they they're really good at that. Um the other thing like some of the interludes and codas like aren't like massively necessary but they don't take away from the album as a whole like so it's not a big negative. Um I yeah. There there are all my negatives. That's it. I think this is a really really good record man. I really really like this. And for me I was four tracks into this and I was like oh shit this is an album of the year contender because the first four tracks on this are absolutely unbelievable Kiss for the Whole World Please Set Me On Fire It Hurts and Leap Into The Lightning what the fuck man like that is how you start a modern alternative rock electronic pop influence record Jesus fucking Christ it's got hooks everywhere chorus is the size of planets like you know there's like two choruses on please set me on fire almost you know there's hooks everywhere it's like the please set me on fire and the i wanna be ash in the atmosphere send me ah oh, so good so so good and like you know that kind of real posy vibe they can bring in uh, like, on It Hurts, you know, talking about your self-worth and everything. Oh, man. Chef's Kiss to Enter Shikari. The opening run in this record is stunning. I'm fucking all about it. Um, So, like, uh, like, I have my grievances, but they're very, very small. And again, like I said, it's only subjective, and it's kind of by comparison with bands that I hold very dear. That's it.
0: I actually couldn't agree more with you about the... First four tracks because when what I, what I went into the album, the first thing I noticed was that tracks one, two, and three are three of the four singles they put out before the record dropped. Because the first single was Please Set Me on Fire, then It, it Hurts, then I, the, the, then Bloodshot, then It Kissed for the Whole World. So by the time I came to the album, I had already heard all of those singles and seen all of those videos. So when you play on the album, I don't you look,
1: think. I might have had a listen maybe to set me on fire when, it, that was the first one, yeah?
0: Very first, yeah. I,
1: I might have, I am not. I actually can't remember, but um, I, I had no prior listening to the others.
0: So when I got to the, this record and saw the track list and realised that the first three tracks on the album are three of the four singles they've already put out, I just thought, wow, that's, you don't see that that often that a band like, like all the singles they put out are like so close, together in the sequencing of the record so to hear a kiss for the whole world kick everything off then the anthemic please set me on fire then it hurts all these three huge singles which i was already very familiar with i was like fucking hell what a run then leap into the lightning happens and that leap into the lightning sounds like the like the melodic high points of nothing is true and everything is possible but almost with a bit more of the punk energy from their earlier stuff it's just so anthemic but and like and it's got this almost pop punk bounce to it and I, I even love Reynolds like again we're talking about his lyrics being like you know simple metaphors but you know that whole thing you know there's no use waiting for the storm to blow over leap into the lightning and even the I love his you know you know uh sail your ships into the Bermuda triangle yeah yeah water to the boil and even the and we're talking about drum and bass that track has a proper like jungly kind of rhythm yeah. to it especially in the verses and it even goes into that kind of extended outro interlude track feed your soul where they just full on go into their like dubby wabby kind of jungle vibe and then you get to Deadwood which uh, just, I- just
1: again on the leap into the lightning That that's something that I think Shikari are very good at and I, I'm imagining it's probably row um the you know sail your ships into bermuda like it's really like it's like really melodically strong and i think that he has a really brilliant ear for melody and he can kind of he can kind of take quite basic kind of sentiments and turn them into like life affirming you know yeah. a huge grandiose sloganeering greatness you know and I just think leap into the lightning does that really really well sorry you were you were talking about Deadwood
0: yeah I know I couldn't agree more and uh, and I think that like I think uh, 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 out of all that first run of tracks I mean especially as well you know when I mentioned earlier how Reynolds said that like he wanted the record to continue their current trajectory but feel like a celebration of their earlier kind of sounds and machinations uh like even the hook on please set me on fire. Like, realistically, musically, the guitar and bass and drums on that hook are playing a breakdown, but they're playing <laughs> a breakdown yeah. slowed to a point where it's a chorus. And then you have those really old school take to the skies, like euphoric trance stabs. <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're full on OG, like take to the skies era trance stabs, like over this chunky breakdown yeah. but it but so they're taking like all of the tropes from like take to the sky shikari to write a modern shikari song Man, and it's that fucking song handsome. is
1: that song is fucking unbelievable. Like I can't like I kind of been like mashing around my house just going I wanna be uh Shania, you know <laughs> like it's fucking outrageous it's sucks yeah, a it, tune
0: and it has like, and it has so many of the Rao Reynolds like, you know, default eccentricities as well. I love the, you know, I'm sick of feeling broken. I'm sick of being bruised. I'm a quarry, deserted and misused. Won't you come down, be my excavator? Yeah. Find my, st- my all those little things like, and then again, like you said, it hurts. It, it and I, I love how it hurts. You know, again, balances that like. Because it's that real earnest message of, you know, we shouldn't equate our personal failures to our self-worth, yeah. which is a very, it's a very relatable concept. But then...
1: It hurts yeah. every time we fall, but your worth doesn't change doesn't at all. Doesn't
0: change at all. Yeah. And
1: it's like, again, like, you know, even if, we, as saying them there, it's like, yeah, whatever, but this, like, the it hurts every time yeah. we fall, and your worth doesn't change at all. It's, like, it's really, it really hits you, like, there's something really powerful, and, like, I know again, it's supposed to be powerful, but it is the way he's delivering it. It's it's great. It's really great.
0: And I love Shikari because just as that hook finishes and you're like, wow, that's an anthemic banger hook, nearly heading into overtly sentimental territory but 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 then just as it approaches that gap then Reynolds pulls you with his verses which are a much, were a much more self-aware you know pigeon steps cause and effect. And like, it sounds like someone taking the piss out of like a fucking self-help, self-help motivator, you know. I can detect the high pressure. Uh, Feeling is an treasure. Uh, And the bass, and and even that line from the bass is Chris Batten, you know, unless you fight the inevitable, you'll never know if it truly was. And then you've Chris the guitar, uh, Rob the guitar. So let's fight it. I just think it's a fucking anthem. But by the time you get to Deadwood, I get what you're saying about... You You see, you seem like you're a bit... Mm, ho-hum about carries more orchestral leanings, whereas I'm so used to the boys now, I was waiting for the orchestral song. You know, I knew there had to be one song where Reynolds got his composer pen out and got his fucking string friends in and, like, made a real kind of... It's... It,
1: uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally just that the... the fault of comparison that's all it is it's not that I I think it's bad because it's really not and it's really well put together and really well crafted I just don't uh, it doesn't hit the heights of other similar-ish artists who've done that for me that's all that's literally all it's it's again like when I'm listening to it I'm having a great time it's only when I fucking put on my semi-analytical like reviewers hat that I, I, I just I just it would be disingenuous of me to sit here and be like that is one of the best orchestras you know what I mean that's that's all it is yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't want to do that so that's all it was but it's just the 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 fault of comparison that's all it is
0: but I, I I'm I, I'm a sucker for it I love the yep. I love the unhinged performance from Reynolds I love when he just lets out that ah! in the middle of it yeah <laughs> so. yeah that's brilliant yeah, it just sounds like a man screaming while an orchestra are trying to play. And I also love, love that big ending when he's got all the effects on his voice and he's like, you know, I want to feel the way you feel. Yeah. like, And it almost, it, there's a dichotomy between his voice sounding incredibly robotronic when he's basically just shouting for how much he wants to feel like a normal human again. I want to feel the way that you feel. Oh, I, I definitely think that's interesting. That was, yeah. That, I never actually picked up on it. That. That's, that's, that's fucking
1: deliberate. Definitely. Yeah, that's that that's yeah. really interesting, actually. I never thought of that.
0: Yeah. Then we get to Jailbreak, which Jailbreak went from being my fir- one of my first listens, I was like, this is a nice song. To <laughs> like I was listening to it yesterday for like my umpteen time, and Jailbreak has really clicked with me now, is one of my favorite tracks on the record. I think Jailbreak hits that. Jailbreak reminds me of like one of like the really melodic tracks off of Common Dreads where they were kind of, where they still had a bit of their kind of youthful punk angst but really wanted to showcase that they could write these big euphoric melodic alt rock tracks. Well it's got now
1: I'm lying wide awake, jailbreak, it's like pure like punk rock drumming like it's you know it's yeah it's really like
0: punk. Um, and even that hook, then the, you know, we'll be prisoners together. Yeah. Na, na. I, that's, that's very much their old kind of, let's say, MySpace era, real synthy pop kind of fucking, like, you know what I mean? But again, it still feels in service to their modern direction. I, 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 think, there's, I think there's a lot to love on Jailbreak. I think it's a real just, and, and I, again, I love the idea of, you know, I I think maybe because we spent so long with Shikari writing very political songs, there's something refreshing about Reynolds letting his guard down in their later material and being a bit more personal and talking about self-worth than you know question everything, especially your own be- uh Question yeah. everything, including your own beliefs, and especially your own beliefs about you, about yourself. Yeah. About yourself. There's uh,
1: there's something about the 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 whole ethos of this record that I really really like it's like the whole like it's a kiss for the whole world and there are parts of this particularly on It Hurts Again sorry to keep going back to it I know we're moving through the album but you know where it does feel a bit like kind of you know I don't know your dad putting his arm around you and like it'll be okay like you know you're you're all right. like you know and I think that's it's a really simple kind of thing but after I think the two years that the whole world has fucking gone through. It's nice for someone to put their arm around you, give you a kiss in the head and be like, come on, man. Do you know, thing, we'll be okay. We can get through this together. And like, that is a real, I, I could find myself getting a little bit kind of emotional talking about it because that is something I think a lot of people need. And I think that intershikari Shikari are such an important band to a huge amount of people that maybe this is me like reading way into like, um, I, I don't, i no confirmation for this at all, but it's like, maybe they're kind of like, you know, a lot of our fans have had fucking terrible couple of years. They might've lost people they know or jobs and all this carry on. Let's make this album to reach out and give them a big hug and a kiss. And like, come on, we can go on tour now. We're going to fucking see you all at live shows let's connect again on a human level on a spiritual level and yeah it's really lovely there's a really really lovely familial communal vibe to this record
0: yeah I think that's even to, to go what you're saying I even think the fact that the opening title track you know like you're saying talking about how since their last album came out lockdown and the world fucked up so much you know that hook for your for the opening track on your comeback album if you will to be you know We're running for our lives now. Like, you know, there's almost that sense that we all have that now because COVID happening, it fucking up the economy. You know, we're all a bit more stressed, we're all a bit more prioritizing what's important to us, you know. We all feel a bit the pressure a bit more, you know. We're running for our lives now. One last kiss, and this kiss is for the whole world. You know, in other words, like let's just be better for each other. Yeah. You know?
1: Absolutely, hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And I think that that message really they carry that throughout the album without it ever feeling, without it ever getting bogged down in like conceptual territory. And that's why I think, again, you know, after Jailbreak, we get into Bloodshot, which we mentioned earlier, which I'm a big sucker for. I love when Shikari break out the like old school influences, even the first, when they released Bloodshot as a single immediately, that opening intro, I I remember being like, oh, fuck, this sounds like, like when I saw Shikari like before Common Dreads came out and they would just take five minutes in between tracks to put on a rave. Like, it reminded me of, like, those those old-school vibes they used to have when... And it just seems like Reynold's kind of showing off his, like, affinity for more old-school, like, 90s UK electronica. And I also love the fact that, like, to me, Bloodshot seems to be... The lyrics are quite vague, but I definitely think there's an element... And this, again, is I think is totally me... It's conjecture on my part, but I think there's definitely a sense of, like, you know, doom-scrolling and spending too much time online you know the whole I'm so hypnotised you know manipulating hypnotised and you know the whole my eyes are bloodshot Uh, I've seen it all before through your lens the world is an eyesore you know this whole idea of us just getting caught bogged down in like everything we're seeing online and everything we're seeing, like, fed to us through screens.
1: It's a constant exposure to negativity as well, like the world is an eyesore, like when the world isn't, you know, but it's just, I suppose, we're being fed this fucking bleak, endless tirade of negativity from whoever, media or social media or whatever, whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah, exactly. No,
1: I'd agree with your assessment of the song completely, definitely.
0: and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, I love the chorus. I think the chorus has this lovely, almost post-metal kind of vibe to it, slightly like Deftones. It's real slow. It's like Fisher Price, my first post-metal song, but in a good way. It's got a real accessible, but there's, there is there yeah. is definitely elements of post-metal in that hook. Yeah. And, then, and then you get into the, the Coda, the Bloodshot Coda, which is just an outro. Because I think at this point, Shikari are suckers for segmenting their albums into movements and like top and tailing them with interludes. I think that's just something in how Reynolds crafts projects and sees things that he likes tracks to have their own uniformity and little breaks.
1: They also have a like And you know what it's something kind of commendable. When Shikari get an idea that they like they fucking stick with it. You know, like mm-hmm. you know like they 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 obviously really like the end of bloodshot so they're like let's let's make a you know let's take some of the musical elements of that and let's draw it out let's make a coda of it um i think i heard them saying that the they had the outro for deadwood they've had that for years and they could never find a place for it so they're a band who are very firm on their ideas and when they love something they'll really they'll give it the time of day and they won't put it out there until they feel they've done it justice, which is fucking, that's great. That's something really commendable, I think. Um, Whether I like it or not, or whether I like the music, whatever. You know, I love the fact that they dig their heels in about their own ideas and they go for it. It's fucking cool.
0: Even to bring it back to me talking earlier about how Rao had like a solo track forgotten in the annals of his digital backlog and knew, holy fuck, wait, this this could become a Shikari song. And it ended up becoming Gandhi Made Candy, which is like a fan favorite now. I will say after the bloodshot coda, Goldfish is one of the best songs on the record. Like
1: Goldfish would be the one that I like least. I think
0: the the, the kind of the heaviest track, if you will. The, yeah, yeah. I I think I love Goldfish. Goldfish reminds me of like a flash flood of color. But
1: you are a but, goldfish. I am a ball.
0: You are the goldfish. <laughs> I am the ball. Yeah,
1: you know, it's like it's a little. As much as I praised him for his simple lyrics, I was a bit like, okay. (laughs) You know, it just rubbed me up the wrong way, maybe. Uh, Goldfish would be one of the ones that has had the least impression on me so far, I think.
0: But I think Goldfish goes back to what we were saying about marionettes off of Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible, where it's a clunky, cliched, on-the-nose metaphor, but because of Reynolds' theatrical kind of animation and eccentricities, he makes it, interesting again you know the whole idea of you know it because it is it's basically saying that you know we're powerless you know to control that you know like we're goldfish we swim in a bowl you know and like there are people out there who basically operate as the bowl i exist through space and time and you know even and like you know that whole idea
1: i just think you're giving him a little bit more rope than i'm willing to with that that particular one you know that's all that's
0: all (laughs) i I will give him all the rope the man with yeah 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 yeah. because of the fucking line, Jesus ain't going to save you because he's a shit multitasker. <laughs> that, when I heard that, I was like, oh, fucking give that yeah. man, the it's over. I, I love it. I love it. I'm sold. And each time I listen to that track when that line comes in, Jesus ain't going to save you. He's a shit multitasker. I was like, that's fucking cracking. And I also just think it's, I love that it has this menacing, Again, it reminds, it's probably the most menacing, aggressive-sounding Shikari track until you get to the hook, and then that hook, that real synth poppy hook. You are under my control. You're the goldfish; I'm the bowl. I think it's a lovely fucking track, and I really like. Mm. I really like the lyrical sentiment. Again, I get what you mean, but I, I think it's a really, I think it's one of the most playful and enjoyable tracks in the album. I highly rate oh. it. And then we get to the penultimate. track Track, which is really the closing song, uh, giant Pacific is a giant Pacific octopus. Yeah, uh, I, don't I don't, know you know anymore. anymore. And that's again, that to me, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense. That to me sounds like it could have been a B-side from like the Common Dread sessions, and I love that. It sounds very youthful again. It sounds it, it, this album definitely has the most punk feeling compositions since I'd say the Mind Sweep in terms of. There's a lot more chugging. breakdowns on it. it again, I, like I said earlier, these are a lot, these motifs and tropes are a lot more subtle and still in favor to the more melodic like design that they have nowadays. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely moments from like the breakdown-y chorus in Please Set Me On Fire to the acid kind of breakdown in It Hurts, the midpoint of It Hurts to tracks like, like I think there's even leap into the lightning, he breaks out and inhale just for the fuck of it and bring the water to the boil. Just like a little, like, and there are little bits of fan service. And again, Giant Pacific Octopus, I don't know you anymore. That, like, like, it's the most post hardcore musically they've sounded since the minesweep. Yet, again, it doesn't fall into regression or, like, fucking fan service to the point where it's like, oh, this is a song that sounds like this, this is a song that sounds like that. They really expertly take little elements and and imbue them into their kind of modern direction. And that's why I think Giant Pacific Octopus is, like, it's a lovely, understated way to finish it because rather than going for this big, like, epic, grandiose orchestral yep. track or trying to do another Please Set Me On Fire to close things, they go for this, like, more old-school, like, Pop punk with like glistening synths kind of closer. I think it's really effective.
1: Same. I I, I really like Giant Pacific Octopus. Actually, I think it's great. And I like the it, then the 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 finish the the final track is Giant Pacific Octopus swirling off into infinity, and uh, you do kind of get that vibe a little bit. It does kind of get a kind of sailing off into space kind of vibe, and that's a really really nice way to finish the record. Um,
0: and I do I really like the idea that, you know. I think because it's not trying to go for like, I think Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible was an album with an agenda. And because it came out when it came out, its agenda kind of like tripled without the band realizing it would. So I think a kiss for the whole world. I mean, like even like we'll say runtime wise, this is Shikari's shortest album by a noticeable margin. This is the. This is only about just under thirty-four minutes, which is no, very not, which is very noticeably short for Shikari. I don't think they've ever put out an album that's under forty minutes before. It
1: doesn't feel slight, though. It feels no. like you've kind of gotten your your value for your money, for want of a better phrase.
0: No, one hundred percent. By the end of it, like I still feel like I've listened to a full Shikari project.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Definitely. I feel like I feel like it's a fully formulated album, but I think its brevity ties into the fact that. I think the band made a point not to try and make a sequel to Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible or to try and top Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible. I think A Kiss for the Whole World is like very much being its own, it, it sound pretty cliched, it's being its own beast, it's being its own mission where Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible was this arresting grab of people and like fucking wake up. And now A Kiss for the Whole World is like, all right, you've all woken up and you've seen what the fuck is going on, but like, like, let's just take a breath. Let's have a kiss. You know, there is the beauty here. And like, you know, like, like you're aware of everything, but it doesn't mean we have to give up on everything. And I think even the whole, the idea of that closing track, Giant Pacific Octopus, you know, the fact that the hook is like, you know, I don't know you anymore. I don't know you anymore. But then, when he hits that rhetorical kind of bridge you know does anyone really have a clue who they really are you know how can you not know someone anymore if none of us know who we really are so it's like that oxymoron of like how can you accuse someone not being who they are anymore when like you don't know who you are and do any of us know who we are and and you know and that's kind of that's kind of that's the world we live in now isn't it where like we can't like we're all struggling with who we are, but we expect people to stay the same for us. And like we, it's all, and it's almost him putting up those two different points of view to realize like you know, there's no winning that argument. We've just got to like embrace people for who they are, embrace ourselves for who we are and embrace change as it comes naturally. But like, we can't, you know, we can't like lash out at us not, not recognizing who we are or lash out at people for changing and growing apart. And I think it's, it's a, it's a nice sentiment to end an album that begins with a kiss for the whole world. Where, you know, it's, the the album is very much a championing the uncertainty of the world right now. Nothing is True and Everything is Possible was, like, cause, draw, drawing awareness and attention to the world being on fire. And now Kiss for the Whole World is being, like, it's the only world we have, though. So we've all got to kind of accept our flaws and our faults and, like, you know, like, really lean into each other to try and, like, fix this fucking fucked up up world we have you know be my fire lily on the frozen ground on Mm -hmm. the blackened ground as he says you know i i I think this is a very you know every Enter shikari album is a bit pretentious but when a band are called enter shikari which means the hunter you know this band mark they're very much like i said theatricality eccentricity you know unity that's all in shikari's music and i think a kiss for the whole world is a very understated follow-up To nothing is true and everything is possible where it's not trying to one-up it and it's not trying to it 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 almost serves as like an epilogue more than a sequel and i think it's really rewarding in its understated approach that's kind of what i'm getting from it
1: i think that it's hard to be pretentious really when you're so sincere i think there's an element of kind of posery that always comes with pretension uh, that I, I would see anyway maybe my my uh, my etymology is wrong there but uh, there's a kind of a yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call I, I know what you're saying they definitely have ideas grand ideas but they kind of you know the sincerity gets them over the line I think anyway yeah. I think um, overall this is a really really good mm-hmm. album um, and it's very it's interesting and it's it's brave, it's fearless, it does a lot of different shit. Um it's never afraid to be fully shikari, like reaching for high levels of musicality and you know, they they have grand ideas and they've grand aspirations, and for the most part, they nail them. Um I've minor quibbles with it, but nothing that would detract from my overall enjoyment of the record. Uh, they're only when I kind of get a reviewer's hat on or whatever and I try to get a little bit more analytical um, that those things come to light. Whereas um, I I had a drive to a gig over the weekend that was like kind of over an hour. So I listened to this twice on the way and I just, I really enjoyed it like the whole way through pretty much. Um, it's only when I sat down and I got like... Into it that I was like, okay, I could say this is a negative or this is a negative, but I think overall, this is a really, really strong addition to the canon of Enter Shikari, and because I like this one so much, I'll probably not bother listening to their next one. <laughs> that seems yeah. to be my, my that seems to be my pattern, um, but yeah, no. All joking aside, I I think this is really strong. Um, it's really cool. I. I w- uh, depending on how the rest of the year goes, I wouldn't be surprised if it was in or around my top twenty. It might not be, it might fall short, but depending on how the rest of the year goes and depending on how much I replay it, because I replayed nothing is true to death and the mind sweep the same. Um that will but I really, really like this. And coming at this from the point of view of someone who's not a kind of lifer, an interchicari like diehard like yourself. I think that's a success story in itself, really, that like, I just think this is a great album. If you like pop alternative music, pop inflected alternative music, then there's really nothing that you should turn your nose up at here unless you're still in the 2007 mindset of, yeah, I don't like my bass bands. You know what I mean? Other than that, I can't really see how you'd find too much fault with this record because it's really good. Um, It doesn't ever hit those first four tracks are amazing but overall the album would never really I'd never be like oh my god this is an absolute well, that world beating record or blah 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 I just think it's a really really good really fun really interesting and enjoyable way to spend 33 and a half minutes
0: I think it's like at this point you know I think at this point with seven albums in there's no one you can really compare into Shikari to except themselves and they're only really in league and competition with themselves and their own back catalogue. Definitely. So I think, so I think to put out one of one only, of
1: very few bands you could say that about. So that's to their credit.
0: Yeah, they've really carved out a niche for themselves. Absolutely. And I think it's whole world. I think this new album just continues that that vibe where it just, you know, it it's like, you can't. The only thing you can really compare this to. Critically, properly, realistically, is their previous albums, yeah, and and if you're a fan of their work, like, then there's nothing not to like here. And like I said, and for people who are like the deep listeners, like myself, who are big into them, th- this continues. Like, this doesn't feel like any bit of a step backward or aggression. It very much succeeds in what Row Reynolds said, where it's continuing the trajectory of their last two albums. This more melodic vibe, but with subtle like celebratory motifs of their pr- previous output and their past. And it like, so I mean, it, it feels like hearing Shikari continuing their progressive mission, yet there are moments that go, ah, oh, oh, fuck, yeah. I remember when Rao used to do those inhales. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, that reminds me of their earlier breakdowns. And that's, la-. so it really does feel like a celebration of the band and a celebration of like positivity. Whereas it still feels like a creative step forward while not trying to one up Nothing is true and everything is possible, or feel like it's in league with it 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 feels like it's doing very much its own thing and 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 I could see people saying, oh, it's a bit more straightforward for for a shikari record. it's a bit more straightforward than nothing is true, which has so many movements and shifting pieces and 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 i and I think that is a conscious decision. The band wanted to. They wanted to write an album of bangers. And I also think, I think that's the last thing I'll, I'll say on A Kiss For The Whole World. Uh, as expansive as nothing is true and everything is possible is, I feel like A Kiss For The Whole World, especially with what everyone's been through the last few years, this album feels like it was written to be performed live and embraced by people. The, so, nearly every song here feels like it's designed to go off in a packed room and encourage sing-alongs. And like, it feels like the Shikari album that like, even though every Shikari album like is like that because they're a great live band, but you can almost hear almost levels of calculation. Like th- th- these tracks pine to like be played in packed rooms and have them them shouted and sung back in st- ecstatic euphoria. That's what a kiss for the whole world feels like. And I think the band succeed tenfold. I think it's, and like you said, I think it's, I don't think it's a fucking life-changing album by any means, but for mm. Enter Shikari, it's another excellent, consistent contribution to their like unmatched canon and like what more can you say about it if you like into shikari there's nothing you won't like about this and like you said if you like alternative rock you like synths you like pop motifs you like your punk a bit accessible like this is just a great all-around rock record uh, and one of the strongest accessible rock records of the year, i'd say
1: yep uh no arguments here no arguments here um yeah well in and congrats again on the number one Album, lads. Uh, hopefully, uh, this, this episode might get to your ears. Um But if not, if anyone else listened, check out Enter Shikari's record uh, A Kiss for the Whole World because it's well worth your time. Um So yeah, that's been episode 49 of For The Record. Thanks a million for listening. As always, join us on For The Record pod Facebook and Instagram we really, really appreciate you listening. Anything you could do to help us well, give this a share, give us a review on Spotify. I think that's a thing or like us or give us a five star shit or whatever. Uh, any of that stuff. But anything you could do, if you feel like there's anyone out there who might listen, enjoy listening to us talking shite, do let them know. We'd really appreciate it. So thank you very much. My name is Sean Tierney. He's Zach Buggy. Talk to you next week. Music is the best.
0: Bye.